0: Derek, one of the pastors here, uh, great day. Thank you, worship team. Uh, yesterday, me and Lydia had a little bit of an adventure behind our house. We uh, drove up in our uh, four-wheel drive vehicle and got stuck, and uh, it has a wench, so we got out, but it was a lot of fun. But we were right up next to an old mine, and we kind of had to talk about where the entrance to the mine was. But imagine with me, we went up there and went into this old mine. We found the entrance. We you know, went to the back with our flashlight or whatever. And just happened in the very back, the wall had crumbled down. And instead of a DeLorean behind it, we found <laughs> gold. You know, what, what if, like these miners 100 years ago, they just gave up a foot too short. And here we see, you know, this vein of quartz with just gold thick in it, you know, that we can almost just pull out. What would we do? Well, we maybe go find out who owns that land, right? Who owns this mining claim? Not tell them anything about the gold we found there. Buy it, right? And then do our thing. Now now say we go and we find out, well, the cost to buy this is more than we have. In fact, we can only afford it if we sell everything. We sell our house, all of our cars, uh, drain any retirement account, great-grandma's china, everything sold. What would you think about that when you hear the rumor the carpenters are all living on Hot Springs Mountain in a tent? you know, And at a certain time of day, if you go up, you'll see Elise chasing lizards for dinner. Um, you would think we're a little crazy. You might think we're fools until the day comes where we're walking down with buckets full of gold, right? Selling at, what is it today, $1,700 an ounce? Um, and we've got pounds and pounds of gold. That would be wisdom, right? A, a sure thing, investing in a sure thing, even if it cost everything, would be wisdom. Now, there aren't any of those investments in real life, right? There is no sure thing, um, unless you're betting on, I guess, like the Patriots to make it to the Super Bowl. Um, without Peyton, or without uh, whatever his name is, Tom Brady, that's not the case anymore. But even that, there's no sure thing except for Jesus Christ. Except for eternity with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is a sure thing. Let me tell you how it ends. God wins. Here's the end of the story. God wins. And if we, by faith, accept Jesus as Lord, if we are part of his family, adopted into his family by faith, we win. Regardless of anything else that happens in this life, we win. And the Bible says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Betting on Jesus is a sure thing. Investing in him is a sure thing. Absolutely. So how can we have peace and joy and hope and all of that security for eternity? The, the question in your notes is, what can I do to experience more joy in my life? What can I do to experience more joy in my life? And that's what we're going to talk about today is how to experience more joy. And what if I were to tell you that one of the great ways to experience more joy and peace is to give more of your money and stuff away. That sounds a little bit off. The word peace, uh, you see it throughout scripture. Uh, in the Hebrew is shalom. And, and the, the word peace, it's more than just you know a cease of strife. It's the idea that, that things are good. right? Things are good between us and God. Things are good in Peace. All things are working together as they should. Do you want peace in your life? Well, here's a fact. What we do with money and stuff is central to us experiencing peace and joy in our lives. Today, we're going to talk about the treasure principle. And it's the idea that God is so worthy and so worth everything that we would give everything away to get him. Kind of like selling everything to go get that mine. God and what he gives, his grace is so worth it that we would give everything away in response. Now I'm stealing the title from Randy Alcorn who wrote this book, The Treasure Principle. And these are for sale out there. Um, We're selling them at cost. You know, We're not making money on talking about money. Uh, But this is a really good book. I encourage you to grab that. But his whole principle there is this treasure principle. How we handle money and stuff is central to our lives. And he says this, which I find really helpful. It says, what pastor would want his people to fail to receive eternal rewards because he failed to teach them what God says about giving? Encouraging people to give generously is doing them a great favor. Leave that up. We don't talk a lot about giving here. You know, we don't have messages like this singled out toward giving and money and stuff. Because in all honesty, the church kind of has a bad rap. Uh, of manipulating to get money, of misusing money and those things. And we believe here that God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. If any ministry is begging for money because they're failing, don't give them money because maybe they need to fail. God will give to what he wants to succeed. God will do, he owns everything. He's gonna fulfill what he wants to do. So we don't talk a lot about giving, but we need to, Because Jesus talked more about giving than any other topic except one, that's the kingdom. He talked more about money and stuff than he did about heaven and hell combined. He talked more about money and stuff than he did about faith. Because money is connected directly to our hearts. So be at peace. Uh, We are not going to try and get you to give today. Uh, So if, you know, that's what you're used to. Oh, we're waiting for the plate to come around. That's not going to come. If you feel today, you know, oh, we need to give, then I'm going to say don't give. Instead, and we'll see see this at the end, go home and pray and think and then give as God leads you, not under compulsion, not because of guilt. This is not about us trying to get your money. This is about us helping you experience the peace and the joy God wants for you. Because here it is. Our approach to money and possessions is central to, to our spiritual lives. We want to separate it, but we can't. So we're going to start with one verse, Matthew 13, 44. This is the one we're going to kind of start with and we're going to refer back to. So if you want to turn there, go ahead. It's going to be on the screen, Matthew 13, 44. This is Jesus speaking. And I told you that he spoke about money more than anything except for the kingdom. Well, in this verse, he talks about both. So Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all he has and buys that field. This is Jesus telling a story. This is a parable. Uh, A parable is a a real-life possible story intended to share a spiritual meaning. And this was actually something that could happen in Israel. Uh, Read through the Old Testament. Israel was conquered a whole bunch of times. People had to flee their homes a whole bunch of times. They didn't have banks the way we did do now. So what they would do is you know, the Babylonians are coming, um, take your wealth, take your treasure, put it in a box, put it in a jar or something and bury it so that hopefully when we come back in 2, 3, 20, 50 years we can dig it back up and it's there. Well what would happen they might go and they might Die or they might stay in exile. Somebody else comes along. It's quite possible there was buried treasure buried all around. So, this is something that could happen. But the point wasn't this could happen. His point was God is so worth it. The kingdom of God is so worth it. It is worth us giving up everything and giving away everything in order to get his kingdom. But let's first answer the question what is the kingdom? He says the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus said this a lot of times, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of God, is God's active and sovereign reign through history, bringing about his purposes in the world, culminating in all of God's people enjoying eternity in paradise. So that's a little bit wordy. We'll leave that up there. But the kingdom of God is God at work through people. And so all of those who belong to him are in his kingdom. When you, by faith, accept Jesus as Lord, you are adopted into his family, you are given his name, and you are brought into his kingdom. Now, we're still here on this earth. We live in other kingdoms, the uh, United States of America, all these other ones, but we are part of God's kingdom. And so that is our, our first priority. The rest is secondary, our citizens of whatever other country or, or city or kingdom. And someday... This kingdom will be physical. It is real now. It's not like it's, oh, it's just out there. This is real now. It's active within the church, but the kingdom is not limited to the church. I think that's a big deal with the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom if we belong to Jesus as Lord. If you're in here and you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord, you are not part of his kingdom, although you might be part of this church. And I would encourage you, surrender to him and enter into the kingdom. But the kingdom is so much broader than a local church. It is all of God's people of all time. And... As you surrender to him, you become part of his kingdom, you are given all of the blessings and grace through Jesus, peace, joy, purpose, and then security for eternity. The, the treasure here, so here's the kingdom, the treasure is really Jesus Christ. That's the treasure, that you get Jesus and everything that comes with him for eternity. Our commitment to and experience of God's kingdom is not limited to our giving, but it's never separated from our giving. I, wanna, I put that up because a lot of times, and I've heard this, I am a Jesus follower. I am committed to God, but I'm not going to give of my money, right? I'll, I'll give other things. I'll give my time. You know, I'll give things that I don't use anymore, but I'm not going to give my money. Here's the problem. You, you can't be fully committed to Him and him not have your wallet. So uh, our, our commitment to Christ, our faith is not limited to our giving, but it's never separated from it. If there's that piece that you're keeping separate, that's yours, there's a piece you haven't given to Jesus. And so we're going to look at several principles of giving. But that one right there, uh, the rich man, if you remember the rich man that came to Jesus, and he basically said that. He, you know He said, I, I've done everything. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know, follow the law. Do do all the good things. He's like, I've done all that. This guy was good, right? He did all these things. He's like, you're missing one thing. Go sell all your stuff and follow me. He's like, oh, that's the one thing I can't do. And he went away sad because he was rich and wasn't willing to get rid of his stuff. If our stuff is before God, is God really Lord of our lives? See, I told you we were going to get personal today. In Luke 19... In Luke 19, we see Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, if you remember, he was a tax collector, and he gave his life to Jesus, right? He he met with Jesus, he he repented, and in his repentance, he said, I'm going to give half of all my stuff away today, and if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to give them twice as much back. What was his proof of repentance? What he did with his money and his stuff. John the Baptist would talk about, uh, you know, people would try and want to repent. What what is it like to be right with God? And he would give a list of things to do, and all of it was about money and stuff. True repentance is evidenced by what we do with our money and stuff. And it comes down to repentance. It doesn't come down to the stuff, right? The giving is a result of what God already does in our hearts. So we're going to kind of skip around a little bit. I told you Jesus talked a lot about money. There's no way we can look at all of what he said about money. But we are going to talk about a few things. And again, I want you to uh, remember the focus. We're going to see four truths that help with your generosity and increase your joy. The point is joy. The point is joy because this man, right, that found the treasure, in his joy, he sold all that he had. And he went and bought the field. In his joy. We're talking about joy. We're not talking about obligation. We're not talking about guilt. We're not talking about law. We're talking about joy. The joy that comes from surrendering fully to Jesus as Lord. So here's the first principle that helps us with joy Give generously because God owns it all anyway. Give generously because God owns it all anyway. This is a perspective change. When we come to Christ as Lord, we come out of how the world views it. And the way we view it in the world is I've earned this stuff. This is mine. My house, my car, my bank account. What's the first word every kid learns? Mine. And we really never grow out of it. This is my stuff. Rather, God owns it all. The, the example that always comes to mind with this is uh, when I was a kid, we, uh, for Christmas, we had Santa's workshop at school. And so we would go into the gym, they would release us class by class, and we would go in and be able to buy gifts for the people in our family. So when Santa's workshop was there, mom and dad would give me $20 or whatever it was and say, use this, go to Santa's workshop and buy us and your sister's presents. Um, And so with my $20, I go, and of course, you know, I'm in second grade or whatever, and I'm going through all the tables, looking at all the stuff I want, all the stuff I like, the money I have is not my money. It's my parents' money that they gave me to buy them. It's kind of weird. But, but you're looking around, and w- w- what I could do, there was the table over here, things for a dollar, right? I could have spent five bucks, one dollar on each of my sisters and my parents, and then 15 on myself. But, but that would have been unfaithful to the spirit of what my parents were trying to do, right? They gave me the money so I could use it to bless the rest of the family. In a similar way, God gives us everything we have, and he wants us to do something with it for his glory. Whereas when we see it all as ourselves and and use it all on us, it's kind of like me going to Santa's workshop and just buying stuff from me. Here's a few verses. First one, Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Pretty straightforward. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Elsewhere it'll say that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, meaning all of them. If he owns everything, then he has complete control to to give, to take, to move it around, to do whatever he wants. Deuteronomy 8.18 Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. This is another good one, because a lot of times, well, I worked hard for what's mine. Maybe you did, but Who gave you the ability to work hard? Some people have the ability to just like blink and make money, right? There is a spiritual gift of giving, and those people that have that gift are pretty good at just making money. And so here you see God gives you the ability to work hard. He gives you the ability to do whatever to earn. Or how about 1 Corinthians 6? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And what was the price? It was Jesus' blood. So Jesus gave his life on the cross to buy us so that we could be adopted into his family, blessings for eternity. We're in a pretty good spot. But here's this principle here. God owns everything, and so we need to get that part into our kind of thick skulls. It's all his anyway, and if it's his, then we are just his money managers. If he owns it, we are stewards. The Bible talks about stewardship. And a steward in that day and age, we don't really have those now, but we do have money managers. A steward would manage typically a rich person's household. They had the books, they had access to the money, and they would use it for whatever the master wanted them to use it for. What if a steward used the master's money all for their own stuff? Would they be a good steward? Absolutely not. And they wouldn't be a steward for very long. They'd be fired and somebody else would be hired. Because the steward manages what is somebody else's. Now, can a steward, would a steward use some of that to provide for their own needs? Absolutely. That's what they were supposed to do. That steward could use that money to buy for their own household, their own food, their own things. But a steward manages what is somebody else's. That changes things a little bit. It changes our perspective. If God owns my house, what might he want to do through my house? Post an outpost group. Uh, foster, be a foster parent. I, I mean, go through the list. What might God want to do through my house? If I have a boat, what might God want to do through my boat? Uh, be part of a youth group event that attracts kids to come and hear the gospel. I mean, we can kind of go down the list of our, our stuff, our things. God owns it. What might he want to do with this? Right? We, we have a, a swimming pool. What might we want to do? Invite the carpenters over to swim in your pool. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This runs off that same principle that God owns everything, and we're going to talk about this verse in group this week, so I encourage you, go to group. This is good stuff. If God owns everything, and Jesus here in Matthew 6 says, Seek first my kingdom, follow me, pour your life out for me, and I'll give you everything you need. He says, don't worry about where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, what you're going to... Don't worry about that stuff. You pursue my kingdom, and I'll provide all these things. He owns it all, so he can. The perspective here is so freeing that I am now free to just follow, and he provides freedom, peace, joy, And then here's the next principle, uh, giving generously, or give generously too, because there are eternal rewards. There are eternal rewards. Oh, I skipped a verse. Sorry, Jonah. I'm messing Jonah up, aren't I? Yes. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 8.2. Here, Paul is writing, and he says, out of the most severe trial, he's talking about the Macedonian Christians, their overflowing joy... And their extreme poverty welled up to rich generosity. This was a poor church. They were poor, suffering, persecuted. And they were giving generously out of their poverty. And here's the point with that. Hoarding money and stuff does not bring joy, but sharing it does. And that's what we see Paul. He's looking at these Macedonian Christians who don't have much, but they're generous, full of joy. You see this consistent theme of joy. So now, second principle, I'm skipping it all up here, and this is in your notes, give generously because there are eternal rewards. Is it wrong to give in order to receive? God doesn't seem to think so. God seems to think that's okay, to give in order to receive, to store up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are we told to do in this verse? Store up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? It means that not storing up treasure here, but rather leveraging what we have here for His kingdom work is storing up treasures in heaven. It's like putting a deposit in a bank account that later we're going to make a withdrawal from, a much bigger withdrawal. Earthly treasures are not bad, but they don't last. That's the point here. We store up all this stuff where moth can eat, rust destroys, they don't last. But eternal treasures do and I really enjoyed this book. I, again, I encourage you to read this book because he really gets into this idea of instead of using all our stuff for what here, the more we can invest for eternity, the better it will be for us for eternity. Again, how long is life compared to eternity? Very short, very small. Say I gave you $1,000. You know, I stood at the door outside and handed it out. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but I hand out $1,000 to each, and I say, next month, The amount of this that you bring back to me starting a year from now, I'm going to give you 10,000% or whatever that is every year from here on. Well, what would you do? You'd probably try and bring as much of that back. You bring the whole thousand. Now you're getting a million dollars a year from here. It's it's a no-brainer, right? You're just not going to eat for the next month so you could do that. That's kind of this treasure principle, that storing up, giving away, investing in the kingdom is storing up for ourselves great reward for eternity. Again, earthly treasures aren't bad, but they just don't last. Maybe you've heard about John D. Rockefeller, rich man. When he died, somebody asked his accountant, how much money did he leave behind? And his accountant responded, all of it. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's just kind of a good... He left all of it. Who cares about the number? He left all of it behind. Principle three. My heart will go wherever I put God's money. Look back at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It ends with, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's kind of two sides of this same coin, right? Uh, We give to what we care about. You want to know what you care about? Where's your money going? That will show you what you care about. But then also... The other side of that same coin, we care about the things that we give to. So do you wish you cared more about something? Give money to it. Do you wish you cared more about God's kingdom work around the world? Give to missionaries. You'll start to care more about what God is doing around the world. Right? If you want to care about something, give money to it. Both both sides of that same coin. Or if you're wondering where your heart is, open up that bank account and see where your money goes. You know, what what would bring me greater joy in life? Just think about this. This is kind of a silly picture. But greater joy, cruising on a motorcycle through the desert, which I love. That would be awesome. Or my kids growing in faith and love and and purpose in the kingdom. There's no comparison. One is is happiness, right, and and some pleasure. One is really deep joy. Well, I have limited income, so where am I going to spend it? On a motorcycle or on opportunities for them to grow in their faith, whether it's through instruments so they can be on the worship team or uh, a good education so that they can go the way God would have them do. Whatever that is, how do we invest our money? It shows where our heart is. And again, your heart will follow your spending. My dad has a wise saying he's told me since I was young. He says, uh, everything you own owns a piece of you. And it's true, right? Right. So the more we accumulate, it requires our attention, it requires our inve- money, and so our heart really is in where our treasure is. God says, don't store up treasure on earth, store it up for eternity. What's here will fail, will, will pass away. But I want your heart. Again, he wants our heart, and when we give him our heart, he gives us joy. Principle four, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of Giving. What if we were content with a certain level of, of living and committed to give God everything above that? That'd be kind of interesting, right? They say that your, your income is similar to your house. So the bigger house you get, you're going to fill it with stuff. You know, if you buy a bigger house, you're not going to have empty rooms. Similar principle when we get more money, we find ways to spend it. Our income goes up. Our, our, living goes up, whatever it is to fit. What if it's like, you know what? This is my standard of living and God, I'm going to give to you everything beyond that. He might just go, huh, I'm going to test that. Right. And then you'll get a raise or an inheritance or hoot, whatever. Boom. And now you've got all this money to play with for his kingdom. That would be a lot of fun. Second Corinthians nine, 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You might get that raise not to increase your standard of living, but because God wants you to support a missionary. You, you might get that bonus, not so you can get the bigger car, but maybe you can sponsor kids to go to camp. Who knows what, what God might want to do? because our giving might go up. He's got plans that he wants to, and he'll do them anyway, but we get the blessing when we partner with what he wants to do. This is one of those biblical principles of, of giving, of getting, right? Maybe you've heard this, give to God and he'll give more back to you. And I've heard people say this, yes, I give because I want to get more from God. Well, that's manipulation. That's not a loving, faithful relationship with God. That's trying to manipulate God to give you the things that you want. But here is a principle you see throughout scripture. The person who is faithful with a little will be entrusted with much. This is not prosperity gospel. This isn't give a whole bunch to God so he'll make you rich. That's not it at all. It is instead be faithful with what he gives you and the principle is and I've seen this over and over in life with people he'll probably give you more. Again, this isn't a law. This isn't like a natural this will happen every time. God's in control. But most of the time, the principle is you're faithful with what he gives you. He'll give you more so that you can be faithful with that. In a similar way, you see those people that aren't faithful with even the little that they have. And God's like, you got to be faithful with that before I can trust you with more. And part of that is this principle right here, that as our giving increases, right, or as our income increases, our giving also increases, We will be made rich in every way so that we can be generous in every way. And again, it comes down to joy. This traveler sold everything and in his joy bought the field. When you understand God's grace, he's worth it. When you understand everything he's given you, you would give everything to receive him. You know, when, uh, I, I've shared this story before, you're probably sick of hearing it, but when Callie and I were first married, um, and we would write our, our tithe check, and we would put it in her purse, the last place we should have put it, and we would go to church, and then we would go home, and we would forget to give it. And then it happened again, and then it would happen again, and, and three or four weeks would go by, and we'd get there, and we'd open up the purse, well, she would open up the purse, and be like, and she'd pull out the three or four checks. We'd look in the account and be like, We can't afford, we'd have to tear those up, throw them away, we'll do better next week. But when we were faithful and we remembered to give every week, we were never in lack. It was this weird thing, right? That if we didn't give it, we spent it all. If we did give it, we lived the exact same way and had enough. I have never met anybody who said, man, we are going without because we gave too much to God. That story has never been told because God is faithful to provide when we put his kingdom first. Generosity really comes down to this. God has given us everything, and we give everything back. This isn't a guilt thing. We don't talk about it, right, because we need your money, because God provides for what he wants to do. We talk about it because if we want the abundant life, and we talk about it a lot, it's, it's there on our mission statement. If we want the abundant life, it means he has control of our finances. As I wrap up, I want to invite the uh, the worship team to come up. Um, as we're going to move to worship, we're going to take communion. But whenever I talk about giving, I really feel the need to talk about uh, the New Testament principles for giving. They're in 2 Corinthians chapters eight through nine, and I'm not going to. We don't have time to go through all that. But I want to give them to you because the question people ask all the time when we talk about money and giving and all this is how much, right? What's the percentage that we should give? The Old Testament had a tithe of a 10%, but they gave other... Well, what's ours in the New Testament? In our day and age, is there a number with it? And there's not, but there are principles, and I want to give you these principles real quick. One, give generously. That's going to be different for every person. For you, is it generous that you're giving? Two, give sacrificially. Meaning your giving should cost you something. As you look, are there things that you would do, you would want to do, you would want to buy if, if you didn't give? And we've done that before. We look at the money. Oh, here's what we get, wow, here's what we could do. It's sacrificial. We need to be sacrificially giving. It costs us something. Three, give joyfully. I love this principle of giving it's a joyful giving. It's not a heart of compulsion. It's actually joyful. When we understand what we have in Christ, then we give it happily, freely, joyfully. And that leads to the next one. Do not give under compulsion. If anybody ever guilt you into give, your first response is don't give. God does not want us to give under compulsion. He doesn't need to twist our arm. It's freely. And we give to God first. This is another one of those principles, the principles of first fruits. We give to him first. When you get your check, where do you give first? What do you put money in first? And then last, make a plan to give consistently. You know, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, on the first day of the week, set aside what you're going to give. Meaning, plan on it. Payday. How much are you going to give? Plan on it, set it aside, and then give it. Jim Elliott Says this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I think that quote is really helpful. Now, to help you in this process, um, we included in your handout a budget. Now, budget's a bad word, but the first step in being good stewards is to know where our money is going. I encourage you, take this home and fill it out. You're not going to share this with your group. (laughs) You know, we're not going to pass this around and look. That's not what this is for. This is for you and your spouse, you alone, to look at this and get a handle on, where is my money going? That's our first step in stewardship. Now, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, When we take the Lord's Supper, this is our way of remembering Jesus' death on the cross. This is worship. And If we talked about money more, this would be the time in the service where we would say this is the time to bring your tithes and offerings because giving is also a part of worship. And we don't do that. and We don't do it on purpose because the church kind of has a bad rap. But this is a good time as we move into worship for you to think about, God, what have you done for me? To think about your giving. This is the time, some of you already do this, to go and actually put your check in because it is you giving back to God. But for the rest of us, let's take this minute and let's just ask God, reveal in us, is there anything you want to adjust? Is there any piece of my heart that does not belong to you? And here we ask God to fill us with joy. And as we come, we have uh, three stations, here, here, and there. And it's the bread. And as we take the bread, we remember Jesus' body broken on the cross. And as we drink the cup, we remember his blood spilled for us that has earned for us eternal life. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. So all of this stuff that we're talking about isn't to earn salvation. It's already earned. All we do to get it is say, yes to Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead, and now the rest of our life is just poured out to him in worship. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Um, Jesus, thank you for caring so much about our hearts that you're bold enough to talk a lot about money and stuff. God, this is a very personal topic, and it's personal because it is connected to our hearts. God, I do ask that you would glorify yourself in us, in the way that we worship, in the way that we handle our money and our stuff. God, and I go back to the beginning as we we had our missions team here. God, we have more to offer this community. God, use us to glorify yourself, please. Use us to draw more people into a eternal, joyful relationship With you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.